Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Wherever you are in the world, welcome back to The Caring Economy with me, Toby Usnick. Today, we're thrilled to have as our guest, Brian Bowles. Brian is the Senior Development Director at John Hopkins Carey Business School. For those of you not familiar with John Hop Johns Hopkins or uh, U.S. higher uh, institutions of learning, it is a preeminent school university with a stellar business school within it, and that's where Brian sits. Brian, welcome to The Caring Economy. Absolutely. Thank you, Toby. Thanks for having me. We first got acquainted when you read my book, The Caring Economy, and reached out to me, and we had some great sort of uh, back and forth and chatting, and then um, and then even a little bit of a, um, uh, what should I say, a coaching session, because you were going in for a role, which um, was very exciting and a, a big utility down there, based on your experience, which is all about community involvement, uh, Community, a social impact, basically. Um, right. Uh, Brian, uh, tell us a, a little bit about your career journey. Where did it start? Take us on that journey and, and maybe give us some of the pivots where you went left and others went right. Sure. So I started at my alma mater, St. Francis Academy, which is a private school, high school in Baltimore. It's the oldest Black continuously operated educational institution in the country. So found 1828, amazing story founded by Mother Mary Lang. I called the athletic director and said, I want to help out with the baseball program. Mm -hmm. Back and said, what do you think about being a head coach? So to me, it was like someone offered me a big league coaching job. And I didn't want to just coach a team. I wanted to build a program. So my father was recently retired, Baltimore City Police Department. Uh, my brother had flexibility in his schedule, so we all came together to build a program. We won two games our first year and moved on to coach some amazing young men uh, that uh, we won a championship in 2009. We sent about a dozen kids to play college baseball. Mm -hmm. But after my first year, I said, what job can I get that's going to get me off at three o'clock so I continue to do what I love? Mm -hmm. It was teaching. So I, I coached and taught for eight years at St. Francis. Uh, towards the back end of that, I took my kids to a showcase in Virginia. I met two African-American scouts who were brothers. And I essentially learned about the, the, the scouting industry. And I thought that would be a great opportunity for myself to get in mm -hmm. so I back home to Baltimore. And I called every major league club. And about half of them called back and that led to an opportunity with the Detroit Tigers and then led to an opportunity to go to scout school. Which I'd never heard of before. Yeah. So it's, <laughs> a, it's, a, institution. Uh, it's a two week program in Arizona. So I was still teaching and, and coaching. I was probably a year seven or, or six or seven at that time. So it was a great opportunity to get in. I, I was offered a contract to, to work part-time with, the Detroit Tigers as a regional scout. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I was kind of in two worlds. So I was between baseball and, and, and this academic space and teaching, but I, I wasn't sure which direction I wanted to go. An opportunity opened up to run the community center, to, to be the director of a community center at St. Francis Academy. It was a zero-based budget. So that was really my first introduction into fundraising. It was, you know, like whatever you want to do, 
great. Go get the money to fund, do it. You know, go fund those projects. So we did it. We had an after-school program, which continued for many years. I had big shoes to fill because the previous director was the, essentially the first director um, and, and, and older than I was. Um, so he did a great job. So I, I was able to build on the success there. I, I started a books and baseball summer camp where I was the executive director. My brother was the director of the camp. It was a two-week, well, excuse me, four-week program during the summer, which brought in kids 12, well, excuse me, as old as 12, as young as six years old. Um, and that really stemmed from my passion to get to kids a lot earlier and to try to make an impact before they get to high school. And had success there. And after a couple of years, the principal pulled me in office and said, Brian, what do you think about being the school's director of development? I thought, wow, that seems like a big job. Um, and I jumped in and I figured, I said, I'd rather be in a position to help save the school than hope something magically happens. Mm -hmm. So a good board, some good volunteers, some exceptional donors, we were able to really get the school off of life support because it was in danger of closing mm -hmm. and put it on better financial footing. And it's I think 193 years old today. So 93, 94 so it was an incredible opportunity. I learned so much in these small nonprofit environments and small schools, you wear so many hats. So I had a chance to do so many things I wouldn't have a chance to do otherwise if I was at a large institution. And I had a lot of responsibility as well. Yeah, and then it teed you up for other things. Absolutely. So it set me up to uh, move on to Catholic Charities in, in Baltimore, where I was the director of major and corporate gifts incredible work that that organization does uh, makes a huge difference in, in, in the whole state of Baltimore, quite frankly, although it's, it's titled uh, or, or named Catholic Charities of Baltimore. Mm -hmm. And that led to an opportunity at the uh, Cary Business School at Johns Hopkins. So it's where I am now and, and um, just trying to make a difference in, in whatever role I'm in and whatever institution I, I serve through my work. So uh, again, ladies and gentlemen, today we have on the Caring Economy, Brian Bowles, who's the Senior Development Director at Johns Hopkins uh, Cary Business School in Baltimore, Maryland. Um, two things in what you just shared with us, Brian. Uh, you said that going to the academy almost saved your life. That's a huge statement. Can you say a little bit about that? And then also I wanna explore the concept of social impact because you talk about development as your, your career profession or training. But what I heard through all that, I think a lot of our listeners here on The Caring Economy have heard is social impact. So how did the academy save your life? So it, it's as a religious institution, it um, gave me a spiritual foundation and a, and a, and a um, you're in a space where it's a small school. It's, you know, you have nuns there. Um, you have this very caring and loving uh, staff and faculty. Mm -hmm. um, that is exactly what I needed. And I didn't know I needed it at the time. But, mm -hmm. um, you know, when my mom essentially said, you're going to St. Francis Academy, no matter what, you know, that was that was it. And of course, I went fighting and, and kicking and screaming. But um, just the level of, of care, um, the, the good examples, I, I guess one thing to, to note is this was my first time having black male teachers. Mm -hmm. And and then going back into the classroom myself, mm -hmm. you know, I'm back in, in terms of what impact that had mm -hmm. on me. And then as a result, what impact that's had on young people that I've worked with. 
Yes, but, role models. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean that it was it was remarkable, and and not just one or two, quite a few black male teachers. Mm-hmm. Um, young man, I think you you need that um, as a young black man. You need that. That that that's a difference maker, and um, I think that made a, a significant impact on my development as a young man. Mm-hmm. Well, I think uh, representation absolutely matters for all of us. As a gay man, it was later in life that I was around. Uh, out gay males who actually were uh, either became mentors or who were role models for me. So absolutely matters. I agree with you. Uh, And I want to come back to the whole um, topic of uh, raising young Black men, but um, tell us a little bit also about the social impact part of it, which ties into your whole career journey. Yeah. So, you know, one thing I realized is that with young people specifically, they, they pay a lot more attention. They pay attention to what you say, but a lot more on what you do. So it's mm-hmm. being at that good example. Um, and I think I've found those opportunities through my work, through mentoring, through um, you know, running the community center where we had after school programs and 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 you know, served meals of it's a lot of times it was the last meal that the, the young people would eat. And this was for primarily kids in middle school and some in elementary school. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the different programs and activities we engage them in, um, you know, those things are are incredibly impactful and 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 meaningful. And um, you know, there's still time today where I'll run into young people that I may have met once, Toby, or or you know, maybe I spent a week with them. You know, we had a uh, books and baseball summer camp that I founded um, while I was at the community center. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, they can tell you kind of what you wore on certain days and things you said that stuck with them. Um, and, and that, that's, that means something that, that is a true, true reward as, as a, as an educator, as a teacher, as a coach, those things um, matter. Um, and, and you hope that they in turn pay it forward. Really. Absolutely. Agent. Yeah. So that sort of, uh, you found your way into this sort of social impact concept just because of the life you were leading and I suspect the values your mom and your academy instilled in you. Absolutely. So, so tell me then as, a, as a, you were once a young black man now you're, and you've mentored many of them, um, and it could be young black girls as well, but I'm curious about our audience are young people starting out on their careers and a lot of C-suite executives. So I think to myself, what does a C-suite executive need to know today in an era of Breonna Taylor, George Floyd, Black Lives Matter, that they haven't heard or that hasn't really yet resonated with them? How, talk to my audience, tell them a little bit about your tips for uh, businesses being even better at diversity and inclusion. Well, it, I think it is essentially that um, being able to have those diverse uh, opinions, ideas, and individuals um, within your company, but but also that appears um, and that are at that at the same level you are. Mm-hmm. Um, and the more you you see that diversity at leadership levels, um, I think you'll begin to see greater impact. I mean, you, we talked about George Floyd, we talked about Breonna Taylor, and, and, and too many others. Um, and of course, George Floyd was that, you know, at the tipping point for a lot of companies where you saw, mm-hmm. 
you know, these statements, these bold statements of we're going to listen and we're going to change and we're going to do better. And I, I hope that that is holds true and, and, and uh, there's a commitment there. Um, but, but I will say candidly, you know, I, I saw certain comments and statements of companies that I questioned whether they had any representation, maybe in their communications department, because um, maybe there was a miss here or there mm-hmm. in terms of wording or the way they presented something. Yep. So um, that is very important to be able to have that representation and have, you know, someone that, um, you know, is again your your peer or or you know has a senior enough position where they can, and you have that relationship with them, mm-hmm. meaningful relationship with them. So it's not just I know Brian or I know whomever. Um, so yes, I know you know a black person, a black professional, but I have to have a meaningful relationship. So the conversation has to go beyond the meetings we have. We're just passing each other, talking about the ball game mm-hmm. or. The, you know the goings on uh, of, of the world, um, but but really, you know, do you how well do you really know me? Um, right. And how well, do you know your black colleagues? Um, your colleagues are that are of color or of simply diverse backgrounds, right? And and taking a genuine interest. Uh, so, uh, Brian, tell me a little bit about businesses and um, being better with the diversity and inclusion. What what say you? I think representation matters, number one, and specifically at that leadership level. Uh, I think beyond that, getting to know those individuals and and adding some depth to those relationships. So beyond just passing each other in meetings and conversations, but but really get to know your your black and and brown colleagues. Mm -hmm. I think also understanding your company culture is is incredibly important. Uh, So it gives you a, a, a real good sense of maybe what the experience may be like for people that uh, don't look like you or the other mm-hmm. from diverse backgrounds. So that's incredibly important. And it requires you to look in the mirror, look yourself in the mirror as, a, as an organization, mm-hmm. which be, could be difficult. Mm-hmm. And then I think open conversations, being able to have those open conversations across the board is incredibly important as well, where you know, we can have some meaningful conversation and open dialogue and, and no one feels like they're, they're threatened that, that, you know, there's truly a culture that is inviting of uh, individuals of different backgrounds and that it is truly inclusive. So I think those are things that, you know, are paramount to a company being able to really take those strides in, in creating that culture and that environment around diversity and inclusion. Mm-hmm. It's really so basic even, I think, um, you know, literally and figuratively, I think we're all better when we can look at the other in the eyes and see them, right? Like just acknowledging your humanity is a huge starting point. Would you agree? No no question, absolutely. I I think uh, the more we do that, the better we are uh, as a a society, quite frankly, and then we can make those small changes, small but impactful changes within our own worlds and, and organizations and, and, and companies. I think that's a, incredibly important. Um, I think just a, another kind of note to, to mention is, uh, you know, I talked to a lot of company executives and they struggle with how do we get more diversity, more people of color in leadership positions. Mm-hmm. So they've done a good job. They've taken that step of having 
diversity amongst their organization, but they usually stop at that mid-level manager role. Mm. And how do you get them to that C-suite level? Um, Because if you look at a lot of companies, there's not a a great deal of representation in the C-suite and maybe it's just one, right? Mm. And and, uh, one thing we know is that, you know, as black people, we're, we're not kind of, you know, we, we don't all think the same and we don't all, uh, you know, have the same necessarily beliefs or upbringing, but uh, it, so it's good to have different perspectives and not just kind of one person representing. I mean, that's a good first step, but I think the more and more you see diversity at that kind of leadership level, um, mm-hmm. it's going to be incredibly impactful in, in terms of being able to make that difference in diversity and inclusion. Stay with that a moment, Brian. So when when there's that stalling moment at the sort of mid-level recruitment um, process, any observations or suggestions on successful ways to break through that sort of blockage? So I, I think one of the first steps is you, you have to have a sponsor that will advocate uh, and that takes a genuine interest in making it happen. Mm-hmm. So beyond just a conversation of how, it sounds good to say, well, how do we do this? So we need to do more of this, right? We think of some of the statements that have come out post George Floyd, we need to do this, we'll do better. Okay, but what are the, the deliberate steps you're gonna take to, to actually make that happen? And not just relying on your chief diversity officer because you know their success is only as, only as good as, as the buy-in at that top level in the leadership. Um, they can continue to push and try to make strides, but it has to be a sincere and it has to be deliberate action taking place at that leadership level to make it happen. And you've got to have someone in the room that will step up or stand up uh, and say, we've got to make a change. And I see someone that's bright and talented and they deserve to be in this room as well. So Um, if I may, then what I'm hearing you say is, to our listeners who are making these decisions real time and grappling with these challenges. Um, if you don't have that person in the room, if that is not you, then bring somebody in who can do that. We're seeing Absolutely. a lot of hiring now of chief diversity officers at institutions. I'm not fully convinced that that's the only way or the best way to get past that blockage, but certainly it is bringing talent in from outside that is going to be that catalytic agent to, to break through that blockage, I think. Time will tell, would you agree? I, I would agree. And one thing I've, I've heard of some companies doing is attaching it to compensation. Oh yeah, that's quite a big one. So that, that makes the needle move very, very, very quickly. <laughs> Absolutely. But then how do you measure it? How do you quantify it? It can be thought, but it, a minimum, I think great brands need to have those conversations to have them in a transparent way and an inclusive way and grapple with it because there aren't quick wins with these kinds of challenges. But boy, oh boy, I think it's where we have to put our energies. So No question. No question. Um, ladies and gentlemen, today we have Brian Bowles, Senior Development Director at the Johns Hopkins Carey Business School. On the, um, the communications point you made, Brian, I, I, I'm chuckling because as a career communications professional, I'm more interested at this point in my career in the unintended message than the intended message that someone puts out. So if a corporation makes a declaration around Black Lives Matter and they want a certain message to go out, but it falls flat, to your point, I wonder if they don't have a person of color, perhaps a Black person in their communications department. Um, Absolutely. And do they end up misfiring? 
A basic example I'll ask you, because I'm learning as I go, um, would a person writing a press release about a corporate statement around Black Lives Matter choose African-American or Black to describe uh, the, the situation? Does it matter to you as a Black person or does it, what does the communications professional need to know? Yeah, um, so it, one, I think starting with who's the attendant, who's the uh, audience? Attended audience, right? Mm -hmm. um, who is it for, right? Is it internal document? Is it external? Is it, you know, for a certain customer group, for example? Um, for me, it it does not matter. Mm -hmm. uh, I think what matters more is the the language that that's around it, um, mm -hmm. and all of the words that are around it. But but to take it even a step further, the actions that are behind those words. Mm -hmm. uh, so you can say African-American and the communications person says, yes, spot on, that's perfect. If you're not, you know, walking the walk, in the walk um, and you're not bringing those, those words to, to, to life through your actions, mm -hmm. it doesn't matter. Um, I, know, I know there are words that I don't wanna see, obviously, as right. a, how, how you identify people of, of color, black people, uh, but, um, but yes, no. For me personally, it it doesn't matter. I, I you know, I'm more uh, tuned into the the again the language that that that's around or or the statement in its entirety. And then what's next? In terms of the scouting, I'm and also with the school, the role of parents today. It seems to me that parents are more involved than ever for uh, probably all sorts of reasons. But is that your observation? Has parenting become more? Um, more involved in in the way young people are conducting their lives or less or the same as always yeah so i i, I i'm tempted to say more right and and i'm saying this as a as a new parent a father of a one-year-old right so i i may be guilty of it as well um I, there's the access to information and maybe sometimes too much information um can can leave families or parents that have the best intentions, but misguided. Um, so, you know, just jokingly, you know, if, if I was to start a business or, you know, I, I could probably counsel uh, parents on just parents of athletes, not just baseball, but parents of athletes kind of, you know, how to uh, navigate this very difficult space because it's, a, it's, a, it's so much of a cap, copycat um, uh, a mindset because one parent does this, another parent does it, and you mm -hmm. think you all of these things for your young person to uh, get to the next level. And, and candidly, sometimes the, the, the child um, is not necessarily good enough and no one will tell them that, uh, right. but they'll take their money um, or they'll say, you've got to go to division one school and tell you all of these options where they could come and, and have a great experience in, in the classroom and, and uh, on the baseball field or whatever sport it is at a division three or division two school. Um, so. Yep. Well, maybe you should start a side hustle around that. <laughs> Parents who have uh, aspiring athletic sons and daughters. Um, I, I also think that the times we live in with social media and particularly uh, reality shows, the these competitive shows would have parents think that they have to go to the mat for their kids, not necessarily because they have the talent, but that's just what the show audience wants. Yes. Um, I want to ask you also about mentors. They've been important in your life. They've been important in my life. Um, any observations or thoughts around mentors? 
Yeah, you know, so I think you asked a question earlier around kind of big wins and something I'm looking forward to is uh, doing a presentation uh, to a group of underrepresented minority students at Cary around the importance of being a good mentee. So there's so much information about being a mentor, but not what it looks like to be a mentee and how to own those relationships. And I think that's something that I've had success with in my life. And I think about mentors, I, and I have quite a, quite a few. Um, I mean, from a fundraising perspective, uh, John Zeller, uh, who's the VP for uh, Development and Alumni Relations at uh, University of Penn, I formally reached out to him when I was breaking into this profession and said, hey, I need a mentor. And he's been great over the years. Willie Horton, again, I mentioned he's a great baseball mentor. But I think more, more recently within the last five years or so, one person that's been incredibly um, just, you know, I think a lifesaver and, and uh, um, you know, someone that I've always been able to count on is uh, a mutual friend. We have Carrie Chandler. Oh, we love Carrie. Now, um, so, now running HR at Endeavor. Yeah, she's awesome. Shout out to so, Yes, yes. So she, she's been been great and as busy as, she, as a schedule she has, and she always finds time. Um, I could be going through something in work or just want to run something by her or get her impressions on something. Um, and she's always made time available. You know, it could be, you know, I could shoot an email at, at midnight and, and, 2 a.m. There's a you know a message will pop up right or, or what have you, and she's probably in another part of the country. So yeah. uh, she's been a great mentor, but but um, I think you know the the importance of owning those relationships, mm -hmm. making it uh, relationships of reciprocity. So it's mm -hmm. not uh, about me and and what I can do. It's how I can help. Um, my mentor, um, and even if it just means me being successful yep. as a reward, um, I'm happy to do that as well. Absolutely. Uh, I think, you know, Carrie, she's even in the book, uh, The Caring Economy, because uh, she helped me with uh, our employee engagement exercise was uh, bringing in a bunch of cultural leaders and uh, these nonprofits, as you probably know from your experience in Baltimore, Oftentimes, they have the same concerns as corporations. How do you recruit and retain talent and develop it? And so Carrie and the chief diversity officer, Disney, and I did a little brown bag lunch with these um, executive directors. And it was so helpful to them. It wasn't a check from us at Christie's. It was Christie's at the time. She was our head. Mm -hmm. of HR. But it was so meaningful to these executive directors because they not only got great counsel from established HR professionals in, mm -hmm. um, in corporate sector, but it plugged them automatically into a network, not only with just um, Carrie and our other co-host, but their other peers from these nonprofits. So uh, she has always been amazing. She's a rock star. I'm glad that you brought her up. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. And ladies and gentlemen, we're going to pause for a moment. We have today Brian Bowles, who's Senior Development Director at Johns Hopkins Carey Business School. Brian, stay with me until after the, the break. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Again, today we're with Brian Bowles, Senior Development Director at Johns Hopkins Carey Business School in Baltimore, Maryland. You are a development professional. You're, I would characterize a social impact professional, Brian. Tell me a little bit about how you're going out into the, not only the Baltimore community, but the larger uh, community that you're fundraising in and um, fostering social impact, making the communities better or positioning the business school as doing that. 
Yeah. So, you know, I think what excites me is that at Curie, we have um, programs that are centered around social impact. So I think about our community consultant lab where uh, we have students partnering with nonprofits, small businesses, minority owned businesses, and helping them solve business issues. Mm -hmm. uh, this has been going on for, uh, you know, quite a few years prior to me even coming to Cary. Um, and that's through our Office of Experiential Learning. So being able to apply those things, those, those things uh, outside of the four walls of the classroom and putting them in, into action and actually helping and making an impact. Mm -hmm. um, so things I'm incredibly proud of. And, and those are things that are easy to fundraise around. Mm -hmm. um, uh, you know, with, with respect to kind of diversity and, and you know, other initiatives, we have a summer business academy where we bring in students from historically black colleges and universities, rising juniors and seniors mm -hmm. for a week business boot camp. And we partner with an organization called Inroads and get uh, an incredible, incredible um, uh, program. And the students are even more impressive. Um, and we, you know, obviously this past year with the pandemic, we couldn't make that happen because um, it's an in-person event, obviously, or in-person program. But uh, we're hoping, crossing our fingers, that we're able to make that happen this year. So being able to fundraise for those types of things, our uh, scholarships for my underrepresented minorities, those are, those are, you know, easy things for me to, to you know, rally, rally the troops around and, and to... Uh, uh, garner some support and have conversation around that. So, you know, th that's essentially, you know, what my work looks like. And, and really from a, you know, from a corporate standpoint is trying to find the alignment with their value proposition and make that connection yeah. so that it, it is a fit um, because there are a lot of good ideas. There are a lot of people that are doing great work, uh, but we want to make sure that it is a fit and there's some alignment with what's important to them um, which we hope one of those, or if not all of those, would be of, of interest. Right, and then that gives you lasting impact because you don't want it to be, a, you know, one leader leaves, another comes in, and it's forgotten. You really want to have absolutely effect. Um, can you tell me, um, in that sense, what's what's been one of your greater successes in the past year with the school in terms of either a great fundraising uh, match, a, 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 a corporate contribution, or a private donor, anything really kind of buzzworthy you want to share? Yeah, so we have a beloved black professor uh, by the name of Dr. Calvin. And so he's got a reach and I, I would not be surprised if there's one of your listeners, if not some of your listeners mm -hmm. uh, who, who, who have, uh, who's been a student of Dr. Calvin, but we surprised him with a scholarship in honor of, or in, in his name and in his honor. And it was a collective effort by uh, individuals that uh, he taught uh, specifically, and this is another kind of uh, diversity initiative we have going on, which is our leadership development program, which is for mid-level minority managers, or historically was for mid-level minority managers that we are relaunching um, in 2022. So I'm super excited about that. Um, this group is an impressive group um, of primarily African-American you know, people of color who were mid-level managers um, or aspiring to get there that uh, went through a certificate program, mm -hmm. a lot of them want to get their MBA, 
but he was their instructor. He was the uh, um, leader of that program. And so we were able to rally kind of everybody together, um, every, you know, get people to contribute, make meaningful contributions, and then surprise him um, <laughs> with a virtual celebration uh, awesome. to announce this scholarship, uh, which his reaction was priceless and worth every bit of work that, that uh, um, we put to, to make that happen. So that, that's a huge, huge, huge win, uh, especially being in a pandemic, because a lot of people, I, most of the people I could not get face-to-face -face with. So uh, Brian, with that, that scholarship initiative, if our listeners want to either apply for it or donate to it or learn more about Carrie in general, uh, what's the URL or the social media? What, where should we go online to learn more? So uh, it's, it's carrie.jhu.edu um, is, is the website and uh, pretty easy to navigate. And then Johns Hopkins Carrie Business School, uh, just about on any social media outlet that we're on. So it's pretty, pretty, pretty easy to find. And tell them that Brian Bowles sent you. Yes. <laughs> Again, ladies and gentlemen, today we have with us Brian Bowles on the Acarian Economy. He's a senior development director, I would say a social impact guru, um, working at the Johns Hopkins Carey Business School. Also an African-American man who has really mentored so many countless youth um, and started out with a real passion and a drive around baseball. And I want to go back to that. You're, we have a lot of sports fans here on the caring economy. We had Mark Patrick on a couple of weeks ago. You probably heard. Um, mm -hmm. Baseball is a part of your life. It has been. I've never met a professional scout before. How, what's that world like? So it is. Um, so I, I'll say the first time that I was out watching baseball and realized I was getting paid, I had to pinch myself. <laughs> um, so. but it is it is a it is a it's an incredible job to stay it's an incredible opportunity to stay connected with with the game it's a, an incredible uh job because you get a chance to travel and you know see good baseball and sometimes not so good baseball but that's a part of the job mm -hmm. and in the mid-atlantic sometimes you're talking about march uh february and march and even into april there are some very cold days. So you've got to be out and watching ball games in the cold, which is different than playing in the cold. Mm. Uh, but, but that opportunity came about with really just, and I guess it'd be helpful just to, to share this story, but I actually met two African-American scouts at a showcase, baseball showcase, uh, high school baseball showcase in Virginia Beach, mm -hmm. where I some of my players. And that was the first time that I had even I think saw black scouts mm -hmm. and I said what did you do to get in he said well it's kind of serendipity because it's not a job where you can just go online and apply on mm -hmm. deed or you know one of the uh job sites you've got to know somebody so it's 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 so connected so I said man that sounds like a great kind of thing to explore I came home back to Baltimore and I called every major league club and left a message yeah. and said, this is Brian Bowles, interested in scouting. You know, please give me a call back. Look forward to hearing back from you. And half of them called back. <laughs> Bravo. <laughs> and so it led to this door opening, you know, getting, you know, getting, a, uh, getting in with the Detroit Tigers, going to scout school. Uh, in Arizona for two weeks. That's cool. Wow. And, um, getting a contract. So it was incredible because most people that are scouts, 
specifically most people that are black and that are scouts play professionally. Mm -hmm. I didn't have the, the fortune to, to, to play professionally, um, but um, it was just, it's an, it was an incredible opportunity and gained some lifelong friends um, that, 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 that'll be with me for forever. So, um, and I would imagine some great skills that you're applying to this day. I mean, what does talent look like? How do you recruit it? How do you develop it? How do you retain it? I mean, that is, that's a big part of what I think the caring economy is all about. How are you going to really meet the shareholder, the customer, the employee of today and tomorrow and make sure they want to engage with your brand? And you have to know it. You have to have that eye, that gift to go out and, and not only scout it, attract it, but then develop it, retain it and play it absolutely so what happens at scout school i'm kind of curious sure so it it, it no longer exists uh but it is a two-week program where essentially it's like the movie groundhog day where you wake up and do the same thing over and over again wake up big meeting um we'll go out to watch baseball and then we'll come back and we'll write reports for the rest of the day based on what we saw mm -hmm. and you have you have your instructor um, it, it's, uh, it's about 60 participants. We had Ken Griffey Jr.'s brother in there. We had former big leaguer, Jock Jones, who's still a friend of mine. Mm -hmm. Um, Flash Gordon, Tom Gordon, uh, mm -hmm. whose sons are in the big leagues now. Um, so it's a good, good group. Um, just some incredible, uh, in incredible, uh, people there that are now elevating into different roles within baseball, which is, which is, uh, impressive as well. Um, but that's essentially it. You go, you watch baseball, um, you get instruction, and you write reports essentially for the rest of the night. But, so why did it go away? Did something change in the, in the profession? or? Yeah, I, I think it was just kind of changing in, in leadership. Um, yeah. There was a new leadership that came in because it was under the umbrella of uh, Major League Baseball. Mm -hmm. um, it wanted to go in a different direction. Um, but um, just an incredible, incredible opportunity for me. And, and Toby, I'll, I'll say this, I was actually teaching and this program takes place in September. Uh, so I had enough equity at my school where I could go to my boss and say, hey, I have this incredible opportunity. It's the beginning of the school year. Can I leave for two weeks? And no one better than I. So it Fantastic. was- it, Well, that's a smart leader to let you do that. Um, so again, ladies and gentlemen, today we have Brian Bowles, who's Senior Development Director at Johns Hopkins uh, Cary Business School. I wanted to, and also uh, in a past life was a professional baseball scout with the Detroit Tigers and the Milwaukee Brewers. Um, Brian, I wanna uh, ask you to stay on one more, few more minutes. We're gonna go to a quick break and come back. I have a couple more questions for you. Sound good? Sounds good. Welcome back to The Caring Economy with me, Toby Usnick and Brian Bowles today with us from the Johns Hopkins Cary Business School. Um, I wanna talk a little bit about your books and baseball program that you started, I think at the Academy, right? Yes. And you've been recognized with honors for it. What, what's, what's it all about? And uh, also what's the URL if people wanna learn more about it? Yeah, so I'll, I'll start with the kind of worst news, but it, the program no longer exists, um, okay. you know, at, as the school was going through financial hardship, um, I had to kind of dedicate all of my energy to, to that. And um, it was difficult to kind of fundraise for, for both, um, given the school's needs were so great. Um, but the, the books and baseball program started from 
just the idea of there were a lot of young men, young 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 boys that um, then become became young men, and, and I coached them at St. Francis, and I I thought to myself, if I could get to them just a little bit earlier man, I could make a huge difference. And I didn't want to go out and just coach a travel team and have the best players. I wanted to try to have a broader reach to anyone that wanted to come, regardless of where, where, where in the city or what program or what team mm-hmm. they were, could benefit from this program. So uh, we started it, raised the money. People said, you're crazy. No one's going to, you know, pay for black kids to play baseball. You know, you, no one's going to support it. Um, and that's like, you know, that's the best thing someone can tell me is like, it's not going to happen or no one's, you know, no that's one's going to challenge. Yeah, that's the absolutely. I, I love that. So we did that. It, it was a program that existed for four, four years. Um, just incredible, incredible young people that are now, you know, in college and one is going to University of Alabama to play baseball um, and just a number of other just great stories. Um, I, I, you know, with any of this, whether it's baseball or anything, I, I think, you know, I, I always felt like I was teaching life, right? And mm-hmm. the objective was really to produce good citizens. That Amen. was it. Good for you. I share that. I, I, I think we're both purpose-driven people, and that's part of the reason I wrote The Caring Economy. I wanted to ask you also about um, professional sports teams and and are they are they genuinely interested in and in caring about their communities? And are are they engaging their communities? Do you believe? I think generally speaking, yes. To answer answer your question, I think like fandom and having a built-in community, something that a lot of people rally around, it's attached to a city, definitely enhances and helps that that effort. Um, if I think a lot of companies and organizations could have that level of loyalty to their product or service, they would love it, right? If, if, if you, you know, if there was that type of fandom around their, their brand and, and service, but I think sports teams do a great job of it, generally speaking. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and again, I think if most companies could get a fraction of what sports teams get in terms of enthusiasm and loyalty, um, they would they would be incredibly happy, and so would their shareholders. Um, you know, I think about a celebrity that was talking about trying to move his mom from, I believe, Buffalo to a warmer climate, and she said, "I I, I can't leave my Wegmans." <laughs> Wegmans is a food chain in the Northeast here where we live, and it's very well regarded by its patrons. So, I mean, that that is you know. That is loyalty to it to to the highest degree. Mm-hmm. But seen it done well. When I was with the Tigers, we did youth camps. Um, I brought in my mentor and and uh, friend Willie Horton, who's a Detroit Tigers legend, um, to to Baltimore to do youth baseball clinics, which was, you know, mind blowing that you would come from Detroit, right? And and mm-hmm. and happen. But it was an incredible experience. The parents, the kids, and we had a good time with it. And mm-hmm. we to do it for several years. So that level of investment was good. I've seen the Baltimore Orioles do a great job of engaging their uh, community members. And quite frankly, I, I, I truly, and I say this with full sincerity as a diehard Ravens fan, but not, not maybe with a little bias, but they did a phenomenal job of engaging the community. 
I think they, what's the program called there? You called the um the fans the bird not birdhouse. Uh, so the the Orioles have the Birdland Hero. Uh, the Ravens have their own version of that where they'll bring in, you know, community members, folks that are making a difference. But they do a no a great deal of work within the community. In mm -hmm. honestly, it goes back to leadership. Always to ownership. It goes back to you know their, their president, general manager all the way down to the folks that are boots on the ground and it's part of their culture. So players get come in, they buy into it and um, they do a phenomenal job of it. I yeah. think they're exceptional. You know, Brian, um, I'm working on the second edition of The Caring Economy now, and we're going to spend a lot more time in the second book about uh, the topic of governance, the, you know, how are you leading your organization and how are you verifying, auditing, monitoring, holding yourselves accountable because um, none of the CS, I've always said CSR matters, it can be helpful, but if it's not done and internalized from the top down, it's not going to be optimized. And one way for sure to optimize it is good governance. So as you're saying, with the ownership, the leadership of these organizations, it's critical to have really successful CSR. No, no question. Uh, Brian, I have one last question for you and then uh, any thoughts you want to share. Um, building off of what you did with uh, books and baseball, I know that part one of the recognitions was from the Baltimore Orioles. They have, um, I think it's called Birdland uh, Award. Birdland Heroes. Yeah, yep. Birdland Heroes, fabulous name. Um, so it's been my observation through the years with CSR that the leagues really do it well, whether it's the NFL mm. or the NBA, that the professional sports leagues, whether it's the honors, the players themselves, I'm not so certain, but they know that their communities, their fans are their reason for being. So that the Baltimore Orioles recognized your books and uh, baseball program with their award speaks to that, I think. But would you agree? Is that a, a fair assessment of the professional sports leagues? Are they, are they genuinely caring about their communities and engaged? So I, I can say for sure, you know, obviously Baltimore Orioles is 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 one of those organizations that there's a commitment there. Um, the Baltimore Ravens um, do a phenomenal job of of community impact work, mm -hmm. um, it, and they've got it down. They've you know it, for whatever reason it, they've figured it out. You know how to, you know to embrace community members, how to recognize community members, how to support with their time, talent, and treasure, mm -hmm. um, you know, and then also being able to create these what we call meaningful partnerships, right, or, or deepening these relationships. So it's not just, you know, here's a check, right? I think you, I've heard you say, and, you know, kind of throwing money at the problem is, is least creative. Oh, in my words, is the least creative, right, or the laziest way to do it. Yes. Um, and of course, as a fundraiser, sure, yes, we, we do want money, right? Because without money, the, the great ideas stay in the foul cabinet, but we're looking for meaningful partnerships and meaningful relationships and those deepening relationships. And how can we end a problem, right? How can we solve a, an issue? Um, that's, that's ultimately, like, what do we hope to end through our, through our efforts or enhance? Yeah, so it's so obvious to me that you, Brian Bowles, already have a great legacy that's only going to get greater. I want to thank you for joining us here on The Caring Economy today. Ladies and gentlemen, again, it's been Brian Bowles with me, Toby Usnick. He's the Senior Development Director at Johns Hopkins Carey Business School. 
Brian, you get the last word. What would you like to say to our audience? So uh, to, today, whenever, you know, today uh, we lost a great in, mm -hmm. in Hank. Hank Aaron's, yeah. Uh, and so I, I did not have the opportunity to meet Hank Aaron. And, um, you know, I, I got a chance to just hear his stories. And I have a good friend and mentor, Willie Horton, with the mm. Detroit Tigers, um, who, I, who, who knows him well or do him well. Um, but I guess one, one last word of advice um, and a quote he had was keep swinging, keep swinging, right? Regardless of what, what's going on, keep swinging. If you're in a slump, keep swinging. So I, I wanna kind of close just paying, you know, honor to, to him and mm -hmm. uh, what he meant as a, as a baseball player, but more importantly, as a man um, and he'll be sorely missed uh, for sure, but um, keep, keep swinging. That's great. Hank, Aaron, great tribute. And thank you again, Brian Bowles. Have a great day. Thank you.